0: Good morning, Rogers Park. Happy New Year. I feel like I'm late on that. Everyone else got to say happy new year before I did. It's 2019. Um, it's not too cold, which is a celebration. And I feel like if we push through, let's clap. Yes. 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 I feel like if we push through for a few more weeks, we'll make it out the other side. Um, my name, my name is Phil Adams. I serve as one of the pastors here. It's my joy, privilege this morning um, to bring God's word to you. One of the postures that we should have when we come to God's word is the posture of expectancy. The posture of expectancy, especially when we gather as the body of Christ, as his people. So let me ask you this morning, are you expectant? Is your heart prepared? Are you stirring your heart ready to hear from God this morning? So as I pray, I I ask you to pray also that God would prepare your heart that you would be here ready to hear from him. So let's pray. God, we just thank you that we come as your people god and we come around your word especially this morning because your word speaks truth and your word speaks life and god your word is your word it's not my word god it's no human word it's the creator of the universe's words god something that we can grind ourselves on something god that can speak into our lives god and say what we need to hear god that can encourage us and rebuke us and remind us god of who you are of your love and your grace so we ask god that you would do that this morning, in your name. Amen. If you've got a Bible there, please turn to John chapter 13, verse 33. John chapter 13, verse 33. If you've got one of the house Bibles, it'll be in page 525. But otherwise, John chapter 13, verse 33. And it reads like this. John 13, 33. Jesus says these words. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Amen. Hopefully up on the screen. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. On the screen, what you can see up there is what is called the Pillars of Creation. Me and Jay must be in sync today. He talked about going off on a spacecraft. That's exactly where we're going. What you can see on the screen is called the Pillars of Creation. And what you're looking at is, is a photo taken by the Hubble Telescope in 1995 of three pillars of hydrogen gas that sit in our galaxy in a, in a cluster of stars called, the, called Eagle Nebula, And if you're wondering how far away this is, maybe you've seen in the news this week that 13 years ago, NASA sent a spacecraft called New Horizons out into space, and this week it passed by. It flew past an object called Ultima Thule. I think that's how you say it. And it took some photos, and it turned out that the object looked like a snowman. And this was the furthest any spacecraft has ever been out in space attempting this kind of flyby And it was out there taking this photo at 6.5 billion kilometers from Earth. But what you see up on the screen there inside the Eagle Nebula is 70,000 trillion kilometers from Earth, which is 7,000 light years. And I'm kind of just geeking out a little bit. I don't know, but you would just, I get really excited about this stuff. Because this, this means that if we wanted to go visit the pillars of creation up there on the screen, we would, and we were traveling at the speed of light to get there from Earth, it would take us 7,000 years to get there. And just so you know, the speed of light is 300,000 kilometers per second. Wow, I feel like that's like an amen. It's like an amen moment. (laughs) And these distant pillars of gas, they get their name from what you can see happening at the top of those pillars, if you can kind of see, where you can see light shining out where little stars or not so little stars are being formed. So those who discovered these columns, they decided to call the columns the Pillars of Creation. And the phrase Pillars of Creation was taken from a sermon by the English preacher Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon said this, On the night when Christ was born, the angels would not go away till they had made the shepherds wonder, till heaven had hung out new stars in honor of the newborn king. The infinite had become an infant, he upon whose shoulders the universe doth hang, who created all things and bears up the pillars of creation. What's interesting about these pillars is that if you went out tonight with a telescope, looking at them in the night sky, you'd be able to find them just about and you'd be able to see them And yet they don't exist anymore you'd be able to go and see them but they don't exist anymore let me try and explain this it takes the light that shines out from those pillars 7,000 years to get to earth the light from those pillars travels towards us for 7,000 years before it gets seen by our eyes So as we look into the night sky and we receive the light that's been flying through the universe for 7,000 years, we get a picture of what the pillars of creation looked like 7,000 years ago. But 6,000 years ago, the pillars were destroyed by a big explosion called a supernova, which we won't be able to see for another 1,000 years. So for now, we get to see this, even though it's gone. And there's nothing that we can do but wait. And no matter how much we might want to see the explosion, we can't. It's too far away. The laws of nature physically won't allow it because even something as fast as light can't fly faster than God designed it to fly. We are people living in a world, a universe restrained by time. We have to wait for time. By God's design, he's placed us within time. We can't get to next week without passing through tomorrow. We can't press skip. We can't press skip on our struggles. We can't press skip on our rent. We can't press skip on what I see is coming, the 2020 presidential race. The laws of nature just won't allow it. Even something as fast as light can't fly faster than God designed it to fly. We can't get to next week without passing through tomorrow. We are a people, a world, restrained by time. One thing that confused me <clears throat> or has confused me is the question what is restraining god what is holding god back because when i was growing up in the church i'd hear stories of the old testament and i'd see people people people's drawings and paintings of people like moses in the old testament and i'd work out pretty quickly by the lack of cars and skyscrapers that but that happened a very very long time ago And then I'd hear that eventually Jesus came as a long-awaited Messiah, and then Jesus told his disciples to be patient. I'm coming back for you, and now we are waiting for the return of Christ. But I'd also hear that God is sovereign, that God is infinite, that nothing restrains God, that he can do whatever he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants. So then I'd ask, well, what's holding him back? What's slowing him down? Because if God wanted to solve the problem of humanity and redeem this fallen world, why couldn't he just click and wrap up a millennia in a millisecond? The fall, sin, Messiah, cross, resurrection, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation back to God, return of Christ, heaven, bam, one millisecond. Over. Done. God, nothing is holding you back. You are not restrained by time. So why can't we just press skip? Why can't you just redeem it all so that we can be with you? Why are you dragging this out? It's 2019. For some another year of dreaming, what might, li- what might my life become? For some another year of searching, what is my life all about? For some another year of hurting, when is this going to be over? In the Gospel of John, which you read, Peter, one of the disciples, asks a question similar to why can't we press skip? He asks Jesus, why can't I go and be with you now? Why can't I follow you now? If you read through the Gospel of John, you will find a very clear theme. There is much talk about who Jesus is. In John's Gospel, we can read through the conversations Jesus has about his identity. We can read the claims that he makes. We can read about the miracles that communicate his divinity And as you read through these stories in the Gospel of John, Jesus is moving towards the cross. And in chapter 12 of John, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, the city where Jesus would be crucified. At this point in Jerusalem, the cross was looming just a few days away. And Jesus was with his 12 disciples that he'd been living with and traveling with for the guts of three years. And Jesus begins to very intentionally prepare them for what's to come, specifically prepare them for their future work once he ascends back up to heaven. And this preparation becomes the most poignant during Jesus' final meal with his disciples. He says that one of you is going to betray me, and then he takes some bread and he gives it to Judas as the one that would betray him, and then Judas gets up and he leaves. And then with Judas gone, Jesus opens up a new conversation. John 13:33, Jesus says, which I read earlier, little children, referring affectionately to his disciples, yet a little while I am with you, you'll seek me. And just as I have already said to the Jews, so now I'm going to say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then Peter, in verse 36, seems to, seems to kind of blank the command of love because it's as if in his mind he just got stuck in Jesus saying, w- w- where, where I'm going, you cannot come. And Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answers him and says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus' response is very famous, and it takes us down a train of thought thinking about Peter's foolish self-confidence. Jesus says, will you really lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you that the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And Jesus was right. In the coming days when Jesus is arrested, Peter would be approached three times and people would say, I think I've seen you with Jesus. I think I've seen you with Jesus. I think I've seen you with Jesus. I think you're one of his disciples. And three times Peter would say, I am not. I am not. I am not. I don't know him. So when we read John thirteen thirty seven, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. We quickly focus on Peter's self-confidence and his consequent failure, but what we miss is his genuine affection for Christ. Lord, why can I not follow you now, today? Why do I have to wait? Why am I being restrained in time? What I love about this next part is that even though we focus on Peter's failure, Jesus is kind enough and he's gracious enough to look deeper and see all that's going on in Peter's heart. Isn't that good news for us this morning? That God takes the time to understand everything that's going on in Peter's heart. We are so quick to peg people. To make assumptions about people to write people off because of what they said or what they did. But Jesus is kind enough and he's gracious enough gracious enough to look deeper and he sees, yes, Peter is self-confident, but Jesus also sees that he's sincere. Yes, Peter is arrogant, but Jesus also sees that he's affectionate. So while we are usually jumping a few pages forward in our Bibles to see the car crash that is Peter's denial of Christ, Christ continues to not only address Jesus, or Paul's, or Peter's self-confidence but to address Peter's genuine concern, his genuine desire to be with Jesus. Underlying Peter's arrogance is a deep desire to stay with Jesus, to not lose his friend, to continue to grow and learn, to develop a deeper intimacy and understanding with Jesus. Jesus has been revealing that he is divine, that he is God, that he's the creator, that he's the wave maker, that he's the storm stopper, that he's the miracle worker. Who wouldn't want another day with Jesus? Here's a quote to chew on. The theologian... Abraham Heschel spoke of faith as remembering those moments in our lives, those clearings within consciousness in which God was too obvious and present to need that name. And we try, we try to remain true to those memories. Faith is a tenuous, tenacious discipline of memory and hope. What Abraham Hashel, Hashel is saying is, for us is that our faith is spurred on. It's built up by moments of intimacy with Christ. We've met him and we're driven for more of him. We live in the memories of intimacy with Christ and look onward with hope for more. The hope for more of Christ is what was behind Peter's question, Why can't I follow you now? we easily miss how Jesus responds because of the chapter breaks between chapter 13 and chapter 14, which aren't there in the original Greek. But this is how Jesus responds to his affection. Chapter 14, verse one. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Roger's part. If we don't long for an intimacy, if we don't long for intimacy with Christ, it's a sure sign that we've never met him. If we don't long for his presence in our lives, if we don't miss him, if we don't see a need for him, if we don't feel restrained by time, trapped by time, and long to be with him, we've likely never met him. But it's into this longing that Jesus speaks comfort. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Jesus is comforting his disciples by saying, one day I'm going to bring you home. Most of us know that when we're home, we're, we're in a place that's different to all other places. Home is a place of security. Home is a place where we can be ourselves. Home is a place of intimate relationships between siblings and spices and friends. Home is a, a lot more than brick and mortar. Home is the place where we belong. And having a sense of belonging is deeply connected to our feeling and sense of worth. If we belong, we have a right to exist. If we belong, we have a confidence to live and be ourselves. If we belong, we sense a love bestowed on us that warrants gratitude. Professor Jan Horton in her book On Forced Displacement and Homelessness writes, the home place matters to us in a unique and irreplaceable way. In its absence it leaves a deep, deep longing. And if there ever was a place that that depicted humanity at home, it's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where they walked with God as the crown of creation, in a world made for them to belong. But if there ever was a place that depicted homelessness and displacement and humanity's loss of belonging, it was when Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden And if we read through the Old Testament, we read this long succession of stories perpetuating this idea of humanity's exile from a home place, all in correlation with having a broken relationship with God. But we also read pictures and prophecies and songs of how God is going to one day restore us to a place of home. Songs that say he is going to wipe away all tears. Pictures that say he's going to restore our sense of belonging. Sin, rebellion from God has left us wandering, unsure of our place, questioning our worth. Sin has left us wondering, why don't we fit in? Why in a room of people are we so lonely? As if there is a relationship that we've broke, as if there's somebody that we miss. Maybe you don't feel like you belong in Rogers Park. Maybe you don't feel like you belong in Chicago. Who knows, maybe you don't feel like you belong on this planet. You feel like wherever you go, you're abnormal. You're not normative. You're always different. You're never belonging, always moving, always being moved on, always trying to fit in a square peg in a round hole. Friends, Jesus says, I've got a place just for you. Maybe nobody else wants you. Jesus wants you. Maybe your family don't want you. Jesus wants you. Maybe the only friend you thought you had no longer wants you. Maybe you've walked into these doors, those back doors this morning, and you feel like we don't want you. Person, whoever you are, Jesus wants you. Maybe you think you're going to deny him. Maybe you think you're going to feel him. You are. Jesus wants you. And as he went to the cross, as he says to Peter, he says to us, I'm going to secure your spot. In my Father's house, you will belong. You will know your worth and believe in your right to exist. You will have a confidence to live and be yourself. You will strut around in your pajamas and a dressing gown, holding your head high because you're home. And you will sense a love bestowed on you that will warrant gratitude to the one that brought you under the shelter of his wings. One day, Rogers Park will be home. Church, the gospel is beautiful. Turn to someone beside you and tell them that the gospel is beautiful. And what will make home truly home is that in heaven we will find all of our longings to fit in, found in the voice of the one who says, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. We were made to belong in intimacy with our maker and nothing else is going to do. So I guess we're going to have to wait. I guess, like Peter, we're going to have to wait to grow and learn with Jesus. We're going to have to wait to develop deeper intimacy and understanding with Jesus. I guess, like Peter, when he says, can I not follow you now, I guess Jesus says, no. We're restrained by time. We are held back by time. Until Christ returns or our time is up, we'll just have to wait. What do you think? Yes. But no <laughs> yes but no Leslie Newbegin, the English missionary and theologian wrote the deepest motive for mission the deepest motive for mission is simply a desire to be with Jesus where he is on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped domain of the devil the deepest motive for mission is simply a desire to be with Jesus where he is and to understand this, we have to back up and remind ourselves the context of the passage that we're in this morning. Because throughout the whole first half of John's gospel, remember Jesus has been revealing his, his identity. He's been revealing who he is. We can read through the conversations Jesus has. We can read about the claims that he makes. We can read about the miracles that communicate his divinity. And this is all happening in a world which we learn about in, in the very first chapter of John's gospel. John's gospel tells us the world, about the world that Jesus is coming into, where it says this, John 1, verse 8 and 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. We have to get the gravity of this, the gravity of what sin has done. Imagine a world spinning in space that didn't know its maker. A world that didn't know its history. A world sending out spacecrafts, looking for what or who they can find. A world that didn't know its story, a world in the dark. And then one day, the maker of the world was in the world. Why? The first half of John. So he could say, you see those mountains? i propped prop them up. To you see that sun? I lit it. You see those stars? I'm bigger than them all. So come and sit. Let me explain to you the story of reality. Let me explain the story that you're all caught up in but you don't know about. It. Jesus said, "I have come into the world into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness." Jesus said, "I have come to reveal reality." In John thirteen twenty, we have one of the most pivotal verses in the Gospel of John because it's, it's the beginning of a theme which is followed through the whole book until its climax in chapter 20, verse 21, when Jesus post-cross, post-resurrection, just before he returns to heaven, he says to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And what I want us to see here is, is incredible. You might have to lean in a little bit, and I'll try and speak as clearly as I can because when this theme is introduced in John 13:20 this theme of God the Father sending his son and then Christ sending us this is what we read when this theme is introduced John 13:20 Truly truly I say to you whoever receives the one I send receives me and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me And the part I want us to focus on is Jesus saying to his disciples, whoever receives you receives me. And the Greek word here for receives holds this idea of intently listening, recognizing the truth and what is being said. So this phrase means Jesus is saying, whoever listens to you is listening to me. And Jesus can be found saying this all throughout the New Testament. Mark 9, 37, whoever receives one child in my name receives me. Luke 10, 16, the one who hears you hears me. How does this make sense? Jesus is telling Peter, where I am going, you cannot follow me. There's going to be distance. There's going to be separation. But at the same time, Jesus is preparing Peter and the other disciples for the mission of the church and saying, whoever listens to you is listening to me. Whoever hears, you will hear me. Wherever you go, I go. Rogers Park, this doesn't sound like disconnection from Christ. This sounds like connection. This doesn't sound like Christ being absent from our lives. This sounds like Christ being present in our lives. All through chapter 13 to 16, Jesus is laying a foundation for the disciples to be sent out as ambassadors, as spokespeople, as his revealers of reality, as an extension of himself. In chapter 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches, we are one. All through chapter 13 and 16, there is verse after verse after verse where Jesus is found speaking about the intimate connection between himself and his people. As Jesus is preparing to leave, he can't stop talking about the intimate connection between himself and his people. And we have to ask, what context is this intimate connection with Christ find? Because if we've met Jesus, we're going to want to be with him. And if we've met him, we're going to be longing for him and more of him in our lives. This morning, we're going to be missing him. So we have to ask, what context is this intimate connection with Christ? Christ find when the church is fulfilling its mission when the church is living out its sentness an intimate connection an intimate abiding in Christ is find only find when we see our lives as an extension of his when we see our purposes as an extension of his purposes I love notebooks To write things down about jesus i do but that's only going to get us so far i love the word of god and i say this reverently bible studies and preaching i love them i do but that's only going to get us so far i love singing and worshiping together i do but that's only going to get us so far I love small groups. I love being in places of fellowship and encouragement. I do, but fellowship and encouragement are only going to get us so far. And I hear you ask, so far towards what? These things are only going to get us so far towards having an intimate and abiding relationship with Christ. If our lives are not caught up in the purpose of bringing light into a dark world, our intimacy with Christ is only going to get so far. I am convinced that disciples like Peter took up the task of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world not only out of love for the world, but because they knew that if they didn't, they couldn't fully abide in Christ. I am convinced that the disciples like Peter took up the task of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world not only out of love for the world, but because they knew if they didn't, they couldn't fully abide in Christ. And that is what Peter wanted all along. The deepest motive for mission is simply a desire to be with Jesus where he is. It's 2019. For some, another year of dreaming, another year of searching, another year of hurting, but for all of us, it's another year of time. A student was sitting in a poetry class, and the teacher was reading out a poem, and the sentences were hard to get his head around, they, they sounded beautiful, but they were difficult to understand, and a student, the student lifted up his hand and said, Miss, why doesn't the poet just say what they mean? Why doesn't the author just say what they mean? Why don't they just say it? Why don't they just say it and get over it, go over with it? What's holding the author back from using the least amount of words possible to convey to us what they are saying? And the teacher responded, because the author's priority isn't just solving a problem. The author's priority is telling his story. We have another year, not because God is restrained by time, but because God isn't done working through us to tell his story. We're in North Rogers Park, we're in West Rogers Park, we're in South Rogers Park. We're kicking off a new service in the retirement home, Brickish Retirement Home on the 27th of January. We as part of Park Church Wide are partnering with Chicago Partnership of Church Planting to plant churches across this city. And I just wanna ask, are you with us? Are you with us? I don't know the part God has for you. Maybe you're going to be the courageous person who's going to enter the messiness of inviting your non-Christian friends to your small group. Maybe you're the small group leader that's going to help us think of creative ways and maybe even controversial ways of leading your people on mission. Not just for the sake of our neighborhood, but for the sake of presenting your people mature in Christ. Maybe you need to make some drastic changes in your life so that you start having friends who aren't Christians, not just for them, but for your own walk with Christ. Maybe you need to grow in hospitality, remembering our eternal home so that we hold our current home a little less tightly. Maybe you need to re- re- reevaluate your giving so that your giving you see your giving is a calling on your life that God has made so that you specifically can align yourself with the purposes of God, bringing light to darkness. Something I've been convicted of this week in preparing this message is to not only be preaching this, but using whatever sphere of influence I have to train and lead us towards living this out. John chapter 13 to 16 our chapter is specifically about being called up into something more so church family are you with us let's pray god we give you so much thanks god for the purpose you give us for calling us into something more for taking us out, God, of lesser things and and, and pulling us into your heart and your mission and your purposes, God, to see people come to know you and love you and to see them flourish in their lives, God. May that be our heart. May we align ourselves. May we be in sync. May we be abiding in you with your purposes. May we be the extension of you, God, in this world. And God, as we do that, we will be with you. God, we will find you there in intimacy and love, God. Your precious name. Amen.